Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Juliana. And I'm Sophia. And today we are going to be talking about mercy. So I have a confession, appropriately enough, for this episode. (laughs) I've had Dave Matthews' mercy stuck in my head nonstop as I've been thinking about this episode. It's been (laughs) unbelievable. I can't even tell you. It just takes me back to... The start of high school when, you know, Dave Matthews was, let's just say, the the peak of my spiritual experience. <laughs> well, that's a good story to start off because that in itself is an experience of mercy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Lord has been merciful. Yes. <laughs> improving my taste in music as well as drawing me closer to himself. <laughs> yes. Well, I was thinking that we could start the episode, so it's evening here in the UK, and I'm coming from Vespers, which for our listeners who pray the Liturgy of the Hours, they'll know that that's the evening prayer. Um, And if you're not familiar with it, we have a whole episode on prayer in season one, so be sure to go, go back and listen to that. But I was praying Vespers, and I was so struck because the second psalm that we prayed tonight is Psalm 32, which is just this beautiful, tender psalm about the mercy of God. So I thought that we could use it kind of as a springboard for this episode. I'd just read part of it for us now, and then we could dive into, yeah, what it means that that God is mercy and what that looks like to receive and extend in turn that mercy. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so here it is, Psalm 32, part of it. Happy the man whose offense is forgiven, whose sin is remitted. Oh, happy the man to whom the Lord imputes no guilt, in whose spirit is no guile. I kept it secret and my frame was wasted. I groaned all the day long for night and day. Your hand was heavy upon me. But now I have acknowledged my sins. My guilt I did not hide. I said, I will confess my offense to the Lord. And you, Lord, have forgiven the guilt of my sin. So let every good man pray to you in the time of need. The floods of water may reach high, but him they shall not reach. Many sorrows has the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving mercy surrounds him. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Amen. So beautiful. And when you told me that you had realized this was the psalm for today's Vespers and you wanted to start off that way, it was really comforting to me. I'm really encouraged by that because as our listeners will know, this is my first full-length episode of this season. So I was feeling a little rusty coming into this, but it feels like a promise from the Holy Spirit that he's with us and seeks to reveal something to us today in in this conversation. Mm, amen. Exactly. And I love I love that line in particular, he who trusts in the Lord, loving mercy surrounds him because one of the most beautiful images for the mercy of God in church tradition, at least in my in my opinion, is that it's an ocean. St. Faustina uses it. Mm-hmm, St. Mm-hmm. Catherine of Siena uses it. God's mercy is an ocean. And so we, you and I, all, all our listeners, everyone in the church, we are immersed in this ocean. You can't get away from it. God is mercy, and his mm-hmm. infinite love is one that holds us with tenderness and, and does not look at our faults, but stoops down to meet us in our woundedness and in our sin. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. And there's so many instances where the Psalms speak of God's mercy to us and so many realizations and stories of God's merciful love throughout the Old Testament. And I think that's important. I'm glad we're starting there because I always find it especially tragic when and reductive when God's relationship with his people prior to Christ's coming is dismissed as somehow fundamentally different yeah. or a different side of God. Yeah. And instead, you know, the Old Testament reveals precisely as you were saying that this is the nature of God. Yeah. God is mercy and he is unchanging for all eternity. And so this same nature is revealed to us throughout the course of human history, starting, you know, at the very beginning of our relationship with God. Yeah, exactly. But as you're hinting at the fulfillment of it, the outpouring of it, where it's most visible and effective is in Christ, is in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we always read the Psalms and pray the Old Testament with a view towards the new, because that's, this is where we see it's in the incarnation, it's in the passion, and especially in the resurrection that we see the mercy of God that he sent his only son to die for us so that our sins would not have the final word Mm -hmm. on our souls, but we would be brought back to him forever. Exactly. So maybe it might be helpful to start off with a very brief definition of mercy. What is mercy? What exactly are we talking about? So Mm. how would you define the term? Man, putting me on the spot here. (laughs) I think how I would put it is that it's the aspect of God's nature by which he treats us according to his love and his goodness and not our merit. That, for me, is what mercy is. It's like Mm -hmm. he loves us according to his being and not ours. Um, And yet he embraces us to participate in that being. Uh, So that's what I would say mercy is. But I don't know if you have something maybe that's a little more clear or succinct. No, I mean, I think... It is hard to sum up in one or two sentences because it is this this deep mystery uh, and virtue. But I really like what you're saying. Um, John Paul II calls mercy love's second name. Oh, So it's tied up in God's love and it has a tender and compassionate Mm -hmm. side to it where God takes pity on our human nature and our smallness and our weakness and our our misery, our suffering. Yeah. He stoops down to dispel that. Yeah. This gets at what you were saying too. I think it's just maybe a different way of articulating similar facets of what this virtue is. I really like that and of course appreciate that that comes from Pope St. John Paul II, because he was a man of such mm-hmm. mercy, you know, both receiving the mercy of God, but also showing mercy. So so I think of him as the one who promulgated the devotion to the divine mercy for the whole world, exactly. right? Because he was a, a Polish priest, and so he knew of St. Faustina and the revelations that she had received from Jesus. If our listeners don't know them, please look them up. They're amazing. <laughs> Um, But then he also, I think most paradigmatically of the time where there was an attempt on his life and and he was shot in St. Peter's Square. And what did he do but immediately go and forgive the man who had attempted to take his life? You know, who can who can do that? But one who knows to his core Mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying, that that mercy is 
love's second name. Yeah, that's a really powerful incident from the papacy of of St. John Paul II. I'll never forget the pictures that I have seen Mm. of when the Pope went to visit his attacker in prison. And I think his story is one of many among the saints Mm -hmm. where we see this unbelievable extension of mercy and of forgiveness by the saints towards the people who have done horrible things to them. Yeah. I mean, there's story after story, particularly the martyrs who, as they're being martyred, will pray for um, their attackers, you know, starting with St. Stephen. Yes. In in imitation of Christ on the cross. Um, and so, like every story of sainthood offers us, it it forces us to recognize and grapple with the fact that this is the love not only that God extends to us, but that we are called to extend to others and that through his grace, it is it becomes possible to live that way too. Yeah, that is spot on. And precisely what you identified, this parallel between the martyrs and Christ on the cross, I think that is the key to this, right? Because Christ on the cross... This hit me in a particular way this past Good Friday. I'm not sure why. Maybe because it was one of the first liturgies we were able to celebrate um, here in the UK with, you know, any degree of festivity and stuff. But it hit me so hard, this mystery that my life and the life of every human person, insofar as we are sinners, our lives were headed towards nothingness, towards utter destruction, towards emptiness, towards what the Bible calls Mm -hmm. the grave, right? But eternally, eternally. And in order to spare us that, God not only chose to wipe away our sins, but he chose to take that punishment on himself, on his his son. Looking at the crucifix during the, the Passion of the Lord on Good Friday, these words just echoed in my head of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I was just filled with this sweetness, this sense of the tenderness of Christ in embracing me, even as I try to flee him and sparing me from that which my actions would rightfully deserve and get. And instead bringing me, bringing me to a love and a joy and the hundredfold here below. Like I'm not talking about just in heaven, like already Mm -hmm. now I can experience what it means that he has saved me from that. But this is what gave the martyrs so much strength, right? To be able to not only give their lives for the glory of his name, but to pardon the ones who are killing them. Effective prayers. Like if you, you mentioned St. Stephen, we think of St. Paul. And yes, the, exactly. The church's greatest yeah. preacher came out of that gesture of mercy. Like our choice to imitate Christ on the cross matters. It matters, not just for us, but the salvation of the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, one natural question then though is like, How does this reach you? Because if Jesus died for everyone, on the cross for everyone, how does that reach into my life and my heart and change me here and now, right? How does it bear fruit in my life? How does it not remain something outside of me? Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, that's the critical question, right? Because the continuing event of Christ in my life is what makes my faith alive. It w- it's what makes faith relevant to my life and not, you know, a moral code or a historical event uh, or a nice ideology. Yeah. 
Um, and so I think when we're talking about the mercy of Christ, the mercy of God revealed through Christ, it has to be something that we experience mm-hmm. here and now, every day, yeah, in our own lives. And when thinking about how that's true in my own life, I have to start with the sacrament of confession. Yes. <laughs> as the as the sacrament where God directly and clearly extends his mercy and forgiveness to me every time I turn towards him. Yeah. That's a, the perfect image is turning towards him. And what is he doing as we turn towards him but reaching out his hands to us waiting for us, waiting to embrace us, waiting to wipe away our sins. Yeah. Yeah, confession is such a gift. I honestly didn't appreciate growing up the radicality and the freedom of confession. Like, where in the world can you go? (laughs) Tell someone what you've done and actually have them forgive you. Mm -hmm. Wipe that sin away. Not say, oh, well, I'll try to forget it and move on and trust you again. No, like actually forgive you. You are absolved of your sin. Mm -hmm. The eternal consequence of your choice of evil, of nothingness, of cruelty, the weight of that is gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a... It's a radical act that responds to a deep human need that we all have. Yes. And a universal need. Yeah. Exactly. And going to confession and kneeling before the cross is we get to be like the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. We get to return home, run into our father's arms and hear him say, welcome home. I love you. And let's go celebrate. Yeah. And so... It's a powerful experience and it's irreplaceable. Yeah. Um, But maybe for our listeners who are not Catholic or not familiar with this sacrament, we could explain a little bit about what confession is and where it comes from. Oh, yeah, totally. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is sort of the form. So the the process that you go through um, in the sacrament. So it starts by going to a priest who is not forgiving you as himself. He's acting in the person of Christ and dispensing the grace of God. So this mm-hmm. this goes back to, I think it's Matthew, where Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So you go to a priest and you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been however long it's been since my last confession. Then you tell him, all of your sins. So presumably you've done your examination of conscience before this. And so you know what you're going to confess. But you tell him all of your sins. You finish with, for these and all of the sins of my life, I am truly sorry. And then he'll probably give you some words of counsel or advice um, often, but not always. You make an act of contrition, which expresses your total and sincere contrition for your sin to God and your intention to not sin again. And then he absolves you and you make the sign of the cross and you go. Um, So yeah, so that's the general form, but um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, that's a great summary. And I would also add that each person has their own preference, but confession can be anonymous in the sense that you do it behind a screen. That's kind of the 
classic way of confessing that you'll see, for example, in the movies or something. So the priest doesn't necessarily know who you are. And the priest is bound um, under various serious penalty to secrecy. He's not allowed to reveal what you said in confession. And I think that 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 form makes it very clear exactly what you were saying, that it is God who forgives us. It's not the priest. The priest doesn't even need to know who you are. The mercy is extended from God and comes through the church. And like all sacraments, how we feel during or after does not reveal the efficacy of the sacrament. Oh, that is a really important (laughs) point. Yes. So important, right? Yes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there have been times that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, um, it has been really clear to me that the priest was acting in persona Christi. And the priest was, Mm. his words to me were the words of God who wanted to reveal something to me in that moment or wanted to love me in a certain way in that moment. Yeah. I guess it's, it's hard to explain without experiencing it but I can say that my experience in confession has confirmed exactly this that it is an intimate encounter with God who speaks to me and loves me and forgives me through this human person beautiful beautiful and mysterious it reminds me of a number of experiences I've had in in confession as well Um, but also even perhaps the the simpler grace of being able to confess to a priest in a language you don't speak really well this for me was a super powerful thing because it's like I can't express perfectly what I've done wrong, but God knows. And he's the one who's forgiving me if I do my best. So so what does the sacrament require then, right? It requires that I am totally honest and transparent because mm-hmm. this is a God who knows my heart. I can't hide anything from him if I tried, right? And so being honest is recognizing the truth of that fact. That's the only reasonable position. And then it also requires that I have total sorrow for my sin mm-hmm. and a desire to change. And that that's what God asks for. That's what God asks for. And what does he give us in return? You know, I mean, it's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing. But as you mentioned, he gives it to us through the church. Yeah. And I think the reason for this, I mean, in part, that is how Christ has established the sacrament, right? As you mentioned. But it also, I mean, it reflects the fact that when we sin, we are harming not only God and our relationship with him, but also the other members of the body of Christ yeah, and the church as a whole. And, you know, precisely because our relationship with God doesn't happen in isolation, but it happens in this community and it happens in this body of Christ. And so the priest also stands on behalf of the church. Right. And we are reconciling with the church at the same time as we are reconciling with God. Mm-hmm. And this sort of gets to the point about penance, this aspect of confession where you go and you make an act of reparation for your sin um, that the priest assigns to you. But there are these whole host of practices in and around confession that can help us strengthen and knit together again those bonds of love that each time Mm -hmm. we sin, we've broken. You know, I just think of times where in my examination of conscience before confession, I've realized that I've wronged someone and I hadn't actually remembered that as an offense against that person. And sometimes by the grace of the spirit, I've been able to go and apologize Mm -hmm. to them knowing God has already forgiven me, but choosing to take this step to repair this bond of, of, of love that should exist between me and this person I've wronged. So just little things like that, where you can see confession is like, an accelerator of the spiritual life (laughs) or even like your relational life. Yeah. Like it just gets the gears turning again 
and everything's nicely oiled. You can, you know, St. Teresa of Avila would call it, you can take great strides on the way to perfection. Um, obviously, you're not perfecting yourself, but mercy is leading you down this mm-hmm. path that not only concerns your individual soul, as you're talking about, but, you know, all these relationships that we want to be whole and happy and healthy. Um, confession is a great a great accelerator of that. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think reveals something that is a consistent theme in the things that the church asks of us and the opportunities um, that the church gives us, which is that these practices, these sacraments, they're not just merely things that God asks us to do for the sake of doing them, right. but rather they correspond in a deep way to our human nature and yes. are good for us in in a way that's revealed in these smaller, more concrete aspects too, right? Yeah. So you mentioned it helps you realize things that you've done and repair relationships with those around you. I find that it makes me a lot more humble um, to <laughs> yeah. consistently like look at say what have I done wrong where am I failing yeah and articulate that out loud I mean there's no hiding from my flaws and it's particularly humbling because this is my experience and I think of most Christians if not all uh there are certain things that you confess every single time you go to confession right and every time you resolve, I will never do this again. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid this. And you fall again. And sometimes for me, like I have sinned two minutes after going to confession. Oh, right? totally. With yeah, I've been Something there. that I struggle with. It, it really fosters the virtue of humility in a way like, yeah. in a way that uh, little else does so effectively, I think. That is such a good point. Yeah, something I will I will pay extra attention to next time I'm in confession. So thank you. It also makes me think of another way that I see the human relevance of confession, which is in freeing me from the chains of psychologically binding lies. Oh, yeah. So belief, for instance, that that my sin doesn't matter and I don't need to bring it to light, that it's just inevitable, it's going to happen, and I can just look the other way. Or on the other side of things, this idea that if I pay enough attention to myself, I can avoid sinning, which just turns me in on myself in this dark mess of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for instance, it keeps me from those two extremes. But then also with respect to the people around me, right? It helps me look at others as not as people to idolize or people to despise, but as fellow sinners in this, what Pope Francis calls the the field hospital of the church, right? And so helps me cultivate greater compassion towards them and also hope, hope that we can together grow in virtue and grow in relationship. So I really think that mercy and forgiveness, but specifically in, in the sacrament of confession, really does break me out of things that otherwise can trap me in a real place of slavery to go back to our episode on freedom yeah i i think what you're saying is really beautiful and it really ties back to a couple of things that we've mentioned which is the first of which is that our relationship with god does not happen in isolation but rather in community and the secondly that the saints show us this right so Mm -hmm. the mercy of god and mercy is not a great gift that we receive from God and then hold on to and everything is right in the world. That's the first step. But the second step is supposed to be we take that gift, we turn around and extend it to others. Yeah. 
you know, and one common prayer that I reflect on, a common verse, is in the Lord's Prayer where we, this is supposed to be the summary of Christian prayer to God. This is the prayer taught to us by Christ himself when when we asked him how to pray. Yeah. And in that prayer, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, the gut punch. <laughs> if you think about it, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Why can't we just say, forgive us our trespasses? Yeah. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're placing this condition, this limitation to try to forgive others in the measure that God forgives us. Yeah. Um, and this is really daring. We say it every day, multiple times a day, and I'm not sure that we're really grasping what it means. Oh, I definitely don't. Probably 90% of the time, more, <laughs> more that I say that, which is often because we say it every every single time at mass. We say it in the office. You know, you say it right. in the rosary, whatever. But how many times do I say that and mean it and actually think about those people in my life who I have to forgive or ask forgiveness from? And yet, like you touched on, you know, towards the start of our episode, it's something that we all desire. Mm-hmm. Every single human heart desires this, this fact that would be impossible if not for Christ. You know, as, as you were saying so beautifully, it's what we receive from God that we can then give to others. So it's not that... I'm just a better person and I can forgive you. No, it's that I go before the tabernacle and I allow God to gaze upon me with such tenderness that he gives me the grace to be able to forgive you for things that... Right. The foremost example that comes to mind is actually a story between you and me, Julie. (laughs) Do you know which one it is? Let's tell it. (laughs) So there was a bit of a feud. (laughs) We spent... um, from I think when I was in early middle school to mid high school, so a good like five years, not talking to each other. And this was a time where we not only lived together, we actually shared a room. We shared a room and we wouldn't speak. Yeah. We would we just stand each other. <laughs> could not stand each other. We would keep our things on the opposite sides of the room and just to the point where literally my father can corroborate this, write to him. He thought that we were going to become estranged, that we would leave for college and never speak to each other again, and warned us of this, saying, you know, you really need to yeah. look at how you're living because this is this is not going to fix itself. And it didn't fix itself, but as anyone who has listened to the podcast can tell, this is clearly a feud that is over. <laughs> mercy. It was mercy, really. Yeah. It was God's mercy. And it was, I don't think it's a coincidence that our reconciliation with each other was contemporaneous with our growing towards Christ. Exactly, exactly. So it was during a time in high school where both of us had shifts in maturity and and realizing what it is that we wanted from life. And so who around us were collaborators in that joy, as St. Paul says, rather than people we could view as competitors or antagonists or annoyances. And at least if I'm speaking for myself, that's really what brought me to say, like, I need you. Mm -hmm. I need you to be not just my biological sister, but to share my heart. I need to be able to come to you with my questions and to look to you on this journey and to walk with you. And um, it was one of the, I think, quickest and most beautiful transformations of any relationship in my life. Yeah. Has just deepened since then in such an extraordinary an extraordinary way that testifies so powerfully to the transformation that God can bring about as soon as we give him an inch of room. So if we're thinking about 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's by allowing him to work that we can make those words true, not by trying harder. Yeah, exactly. And that's so important to remember because we can never try hard enough. Amen. I, yeah. you know, I think this, this story too, this experience is a really good model. Maybe that's the wrong word, but to me it reveals what true forgiveness is and what it feels like because when I think back to that time, you know, I regret it and I wish that I had acted differently, but I have absolutely no ill will about that time, no resentment. Yeah. Those wounds are completely healed and it's not something that I, you know, go back and ruminate on or ever think about unless when we're <laughs> laughing about this great gift that has been given to us. And there's a great contrast between that and some other experiences I have towards people where I'm, I'd like to think that I have forgiven, but there still are wounds there. Yeah. This is the smallest example, but last week, somebody in my life said something that I perceived as a little condescending and it just really got under my skin and I, I don't know why. And right after I was, I recognized I should let this go. It's not a big deal. But I kept thinking about it the whole day. I kept thinking about it the whole day. One small comment. Mm. And, you know, that's that's not forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's not mercy. And it binds you up. Yes. It binds you up. It made me look inward on myself and that experience. And I, you know, I couldn't get out of it. But I think that this raises a really common question that I think is really difficult. I'm interested to hear what you think, which is what is the relationship between forgiving others and extending mercy and our own emotions? Mm -hmm. Because often, as I'm describing, the two go hand in hand. We have to let go of emotions to some extent to be able to forgive. But we also are human and often emotions on their own don't have inherent moral value. What matters is how we react to them. Yeah. I would tend to say that in my own experience, forgiveness typically has to has been an act of will first and the melting away of anger or resentment can come second. And often, you know, I think that it's through the Holy Spirit, but I'm curious what you think about the relationship between these two things. Yeah, that's a thought-provoking question. I don't know that I've ever thought about it exactly in those terms before, but a sort of cursory sweep of my memory, I think it might vary from one experience to the next. Like how emotionally charged was that person's betrayal or hurt or whatever. Mm. And I know for me, a lot of times it starts with the will, but it actually starts with repeated acts of the will. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I forgive someone and then I realize a week later I'm ruminating again and I need to forgive them again. I picture like, uh, <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a nerd. Our listeners won't be surprised. <laughs> but I picture like a sinusoid, but it's on a slope. So there are ups and downs, but like it's gradually growing. And that's how I picture. It's like in terms of my emotions, it's I tend to experience healing and consolation and feelings of goodwill towards this person. And then I might have a trough, but it rises again. And what sustains mm -hmm. that upward climb, but my act of the will and acts of faith, hope, and love in God. And so in prayer, if I need to, going back to that. But like you said, not like picking at the scab, right? It's not <laughs> something we constantly need to go back to yeah. and scrutinize and try to justify or rationalize yourself into forgiving them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I really like that distinction. 
So when it comes up again in your mind, maybe that doesn't invalidate your yeah. prior forgiveness, right? That's that's right. kind of where my mind tends to go when that happens to me. But rather, it's an opportunity to forgive again. Yeah. And I think it's also important, uh, of course, we're not talking about traumatic experiences here or trauma that has been inflicted by another person. There are some wounds that can go very deep and can be biological and psychological and, you know, some things that are completely beyond our will and we just have to ask for healing from God. Um, and I don't want to minimize those experiences. I yeah, I am thinking mostly of my own just emotional reaction to small slights throughout the day and not anything really, really painful such as that. Yeah. The beautiful thing about that, though, is that it's the same, like in math, we would call it a fractal, the same pattern you observe the same structure in the same pattern on the micro scale as you do on the macro scale. So in these little slights, these little betrayals, these little annoyances, we practice the very same movements of the heart and the life of the spirit that take place on these broader, mm-hmm. these bigger, deeper things. Yeah. And so practicing each and every day exactly in the uncelebrated and messy struggle that you're talking about, mm-hmm. practicing there is what enables us to reach, as the saints did, this place of being able to forgive the most egregious offenses. I mean, I think of, I recently went down an internet rabbit hole um, provoked by something on the (laughs) CL website of Catholics who had forgiven the perpetrators of genocide and even in certain cases met and forgiven the people who had killed their very families before their eyes. Wow. Something that if Christ doesn't exist, I think that's what we said on our freedom episode. If Christ doesn't exist, that is inhuman. You should not do that. That is, <laughs> yes. that is messed up. Yeah. But if he does exist and you do experience his own gaze of mercy on your betrayals and like Peter, you learn to say, yes, Lord, I love you, right? Mm-hmm. That is what gives you this superhuman, you know, awe-inspiring, but honestly, really also kind of frightening ability to forgive something like the murder of your entire family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really powerful example. You know, building on that, in my experience, something that has been really helpful is not only receiving and reflecting on God's mercy extended to me, but also in particular, his mercy extended to me through other people. Mm. I think like many people, sometimes... Asking for forgiveness from somebody else can be difficult for me because there's a real temptation to pride. There's a temptation to say, I didn't do anything wrong and to rationalize your behavior. But in working on being humble and asking others for their forgiveness without delay, without qualification, without waiting until I'm quote unquote emotionally ready to do so, Mm -hmm. having them extend that mercy towards me, which is coming from a flawed human being just like myself, I think has really helped me the next time I'm called to forgive somebody. And Mm. often these things, these moments will come into my mind as I'm, you know, faced with the opportunity to extend mercy towards another person. And, you know, this is something I've really learned through my relationship with my husband, who is both so quick to ask for forgiveness and so quick to truly forgive. So when, when I feel like he has wronged me, immediately... I can't help but think of all the times that I've done the same thing and he has so quickly and readily and fully forgiven me and, you know, extended the mercy of God towards me 
it's similar to how I feel after confession. I recognize the great gift that has been given to me. Yeah. And I feel called to extend it back. I have to. You can't hold on to things like that. Yeah. And so I think this is how we can help each other too. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. I'm inspired. And it reminds me of a point that I wanted to bring up in our episode, which is that Mary is the mother of mercy. And okay, what's the connection with what you just said, right? But how did she bear Christ into the world? Physically, in her womb, in her home at Nazareth, in serving Elizabeth in the hill country when Elizabeth was pregnant. Like, mm-hmm. it was in raising him and, and waiting for the signs that he would save her people to emerge and to be visible to the whole world. And the fruit of that is what we saw on the cross. And where do you find Mary but directly under the cross? Mm-hmm. And so, for me, when I think about our invitation really not just a challenge but a beautiful invitation to extend god's mercy through the world having received it in the sacraments to extend it through the world and specifically in our homes to not belittle the ways that this happens in quiet and in yeah small acts of service to the family and that's where god is present it's beautiful to see also like these huge acts of reconciliation between warring nations or tribes or classes or whatever it is that too but i need to see that in my home and god is present there when that does happen as you're saying so asking mary's help is you know, a fail safe. If you're struggling to forgive, if you're struggling to receive forgiveness, Mary's the mother, Mary's the mother of mercy. Mm -hmm. Go to her. I'm about to start, I'm starting on mid-July, the Marian consecration, and I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, amazing. That's wonderful. I feel like there are a million more things that we would need to say (laughs) to (laughs) exhaust this topic. So maybe we'll need to do a part two sometime, but Yeah, anything else you wanted to mention? Not any substantive points, but in preparing for this episode and in thinking about this, I was reflecting a lot on St. Peter's betrayal of Jesus and then his three-time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to sum up this conversation and maybe a starting point for reflection for the rest of the week. Mm. You know, that's how I want to live a a continual affirmation of my love for Christ, uh, despite all the times that I have turned away from him for each time I turn away from him to tell him again that I love him. Yeah. And to do so not just in prayer, not just in the sacraments, but also in my relationships with others and my service of others. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I've had a, you know, those weeks where you just realize that you have not made as much progress as you thought you have in like any area. Oh, yeah. It's been one of those weeks where I'm just like, man, like these habits and these sins and these temptations or whatever that I have been fighting or thought I had overcome or, you know, all of the prideful temptations to think of how spiritually elevated you might be. Anyway, so I've just had this week of realizing like, oh my goodness, I am just as much in need of mercy as I was on the first day that I fell in love with Christ, you know? Mm -hmm. And so exactly what you just said gives me renewed energy in facing that, in facing that well as begging for his mercy and begging for him to show his face and not not getting caught in the trap of thinking 
that it depends on me, which leads either to to despair or to presumption. So mm-hmm. beautiful. I think we have a I think we have a roadmap. In terms of a roadmap, what specifically would you offer for our weekly challenge for our listeners? Well, we wanted to propose asking for forgiveness from somebody. And it can be for something big. It can be for something very small. But to pray about, you know, how you've been living, again, recently or a long time ago, um, to do an examination of conscience and to pick something that, Maybe you're not proud of, maybe you realize you shouldn't have done, and to try to reconcile with that person in your life. Yeah. Dang. That's a good one. And our media recommendation? Oh, our media recommendation is a really good song called Fire of Time by David Ramirez. And it's not explicitly a religious song, but this man is is writing about a woman he loves who reminds him who he is and restores the joy and savor to life that he's cheapened through trying to possess it. And so for me, it is such a beautiful song to understand as the relationship of my heart to God that Mm -hmm. I come to him having sinned and cheapened all of the gifts he's given me through my attachments. And, And what does he do but restore me to myself? He makes me myself again. He reminds me who I am. And that's where the joy of life springs up again. So I would just encourage everyone to listen to that. And um, the rest of his music is really fantastic, too. So um, if you go on a binge, good job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. As always, we're very grateful to be walking this journey with you. And I'm happy to be back on it. Amen. But we look forward to joining you next week. As always, you can reach us on our email or our show's Instagram page. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you are enjoying it, as this will help others discover us more easily. Have a blessed week. 